Well, good morning. Boy, it's been quite the weekend with uh, the baby dedications, and we had a welcome dessert for newcomers at our house last night. We had about 20 people there. And you know, this weekend, we have over 30, about 35 to 40 people are getting baptized this weekend. Isn't that amazing? It's... Uh, and I tell you, being down in the pool, it's just exciting to be asking these people, so when did you make the decision to follow Christ? And the answer's coming back, it was four weeks ago. Well, when did you, well, it was when I started coming to Rocky Peak. When was that? Five weeks ago. Well, it was when, you know, it was just like over and over again. Several people said, it's today. Today is my decision to follow Christ. And so it's just exciting to see what, uh, what God's doing. And... Uh, and then uh, see what else happened this weekend. Uh, exciting. Oh, last week was last service was great. I'm I'm writing. I'm starting the service. I'm starting to teach. I'm right in the midst of my teaching, and they tell me on the front row that my fly is down. <laughs> great. That's the way. That's the way to start a, a service. And uh, fortunately, I had my bathing suit on, so God provides for all things and takes care. <laughs> of that. But uh, so uh, I was sitting down there doing worship and realized I had done it again. And so I had to put on my things to checklist now on days of baptisms. Uh, I'm running up, changing my clothes, running up, changing my clothes. And it's like, don't forget, pull the zipper up, you know. So <laughs> anyway, uh, if you haven't figured out yet, my name is Pastor Mike. So glad you're here. If this is your very first time, you're wondering why at this point. But uh, <laughs> do, I, do we have any first timers? Any first timers here? We got some right down over here. Bunch right in here, a bunch over here. Good job, great. And over there, that's great. That's fantastic. We're so glad you're here. We're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And inside of your weekend program is a white message note sheet. I encourage you to take that out if you would, and to help you follow along. We use that every week as we we go through our time of teaching. Let's pray together. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here at our church. God, the movement that you've got going where people coming to Christ, people coming alive, rededicating their lives, getting baptized. We're learning as a congregation how to wake up and to hear the voice of your spirit and to move with you. And we are so thankful. And God, we sense that today it's just the next step in this journey with you. It's every week. It's like you've got something new for us. And so we're excited to be here. We're excited. We pray that you would be our teacher that as we're studying today, that your spirit would come and be our life coach, our spiritual mentor, that he would walk us through this passage and these principles and apply them to our lives in the way we need to hear them. We pray it in your name. Amen. Well, the story starts today with a, a young woman. She's actually uh, a junior in high school. She, uh, she's not grown up in a Christian family. In fact, um, she's kind of anti-Christian in a way. She she went to a little bit of Sunday school when she was younger, but by the time she got into high school, she's pretty convinced that the Bible is a book of myths, it's a book of fairy tales. What she's really into is science, and she's into, um, she's into the theory of evolution. She's pretty much convinced this world has happened, and, and she can't see how science and the Bible are compatible, and so she's kind of blown the whole thing off, pretty convinced Jesus is not the answer, and she's going on with her secular life. But she's a junior in high school, and she meets a young man, and she begins to date him, and uh, he happens to be a Christian. And to be honest, he really thinks that she's a Christian. She's a pretty good kid. Uh, she, you know, works hard in school, has got good grades, uh, got a career planned out in the healthcare uh, profession. She's not a big party or anything, and so he, he just assumes she's a Christian. And he starts dating her and finds out she's not a Christian, so he's not, he's got an issue. So he gets his buddies to start praying for her, and he invites her to, to, to come to church with him and to start going to their high school youth group. And so she does, and, uh, and she, she kind of likes it. Uh, they begin to have uh, arguments, he and her, over the Bible and the reliability Bible and stuff like that. Uh, but she likes going to church. She likes the people there. She likes uh, the, the youth pastor. 
And so she begins to attend. And somewhere in the next few months, she begins to have a, a hunger in her heart developed for God. She's wondering, is it possible? Could there really be a God? Uh, and if so, could it actually be the God of the Bible? And so she began to pray, God, if, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? And she even began at times to read her Bible a little bit. But every time she'd read the Bible, it made absolutely no sense. It was dry. It was dusty. It was boring. She just could not make heads or tails of it. And then about six months into this dating relationship, the youth group had a, a weekend retreat up in the mountains. And, and so it was a, a winter retreat. And she went up there. It was the second night in, a Saturday night, that as the speaker was speaking, and, and to be honest, she still can't even remember what he was talking about to this day, but she just had an overwhelming sense, something she'd never experienced before, that she needed what he had, what he was describing. And so not really understanding what she was doing, at the end of that meeting, she went forward, went back in the room, and she prayed. And she didn't really understand about Jesus, didn't really understand about his death for our sins, his resurrection for our life. She didn't really get all the details. All she knew is she needed what they were talking about. And she prayed that night, and little did she know that her life would never be the same. Well, today we're continuing our series that we've been in now since February, the last six months. It's called The Way. And for those of you who are new, this is a series on the life and the teaching of the Apostle Paul, who's one of the greatest spiritual leaders, thinkers, Christ followers of all time. And what we're doing in this series is as a church, we're coming alongside and we're asking him, will he mentor us? And what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in the 21st century? What does it mean to be part of this ancient movement that Jesus started that was once called in the early church, The Way? And our, our uh, strategy every week is the same. We start off in one of Paul's longest and best known uh, famous letters, his letter to the Church of Rome, the Book of Romans. And then we launch off into other sections of his writings that kind of explain more what he's talking about. And today we come to Romans chapter 8. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take those out. Uh, Romans chapter 8. And uh, the topic today is the Holy Spirit. And if you were here last week, you know that we started this topic in chapter 8. Paul was explaining to us that when a man or a woman makes a decision to follow Jesus and give their life to Christ, that not only are their sins forgiven and their past forgiven, they get a brand new start in life, but also God himself, God the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of them to change them from the inside out. And so Paul wants to talk to us some more today in Romans 8 about the role of this divine mentor, this uh, uh, life, spiritual life coach that God has given us, and, and his role in recreating, reshaping us, making into the, us and the people that we're, we're created to be. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 11. This is the, uh, a verse we looked at last week. Uh, I want to review that real quickly. And then we'll jump down to verse 15 and go a little bit farther. So Romans chapter 8. And verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. In other words, if you've become a Christian and the Holy Spirit has come inside of you, he's living inside of you, uh, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who now lives in you. So the message is pretty clear that when you come to Jesus, the Spirit comes in your life. This Spirit that comes in is the same Spirit who raised Jesus' physical body from the dead. And if the Spirit 
who raised Jesus from the dead is now in you. Guess what? He is one day going to raise your body, and you're going to get a body just like Jesus' body. And so we'll all have new bodies in the new creation, the new world that's coming. And I'll skip down to verse 15. He says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. So when you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit came into you. It's not a spirit of fear. He's not a spirit of fear. It's, it's no longer do you have to be afraid of God. Uh, now it's a spirit of sonship. God is your father. And so he says in verse uh, 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 middle of verse 15, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, now notice that word is uh, Abba is, in my Bible, it's italicized. Is it italicized in most of your Bibles? Okay, most of you have it. Um, the reason is it's a, it's a foreign word. It's an uh, Aramaic word. And we'll talk about that in a, in a minute. But it's an Aramaic word for father. So what it literally says is by him we cry father, that is father. He's <laughs> translating for the, the, the Christians there in Rome. Now the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So when God's Spirit comes into our life, he begins speaking to us in a direct and intuitive way that you are a child of God. We have a new, you have a new relationship with God. He's no longer just your judge or whatever. He's now your father, your Abba. Now, let's stop and talk about that word Abba for a second, all right? It's a great word. Uh, the word Abba, uh, like I said, is an Aramaic word. Now, when Jesus was teaching, when, when Jesus grew up in Israel, the native language in Israel was Aramaic. A lot of people don't know that. But he, would, he grew up speaking Aramaic, and uh, that was the language of the land. And, uh, and so that was the language he also taught in. He's probably multilingual. Most likely he was trilingual, probably spoke Aramaic, Greek, and, and, uh, and Latin. But uh, anyway, he probably taught in Aramaic. And so the Aramaic word for father is the word Abba. But here's the interesting thing. The word is a very informal word. Uh, it's the word uh, kind of like our word Papa. Or daddy. In fact, you can hear the similarities. Abba, Papa. And that's not by accident. It's not just coincidence. In many languages, the word Papa means father. And so you can see this, how this came from Abba, Papa. And so it was, this was the word that a, a young child would call their, their father. And so it wasn't a formal word. It wasn't like, uh, it was kind of the word a three-year-old would use. It wasn't the word you say, you know, uh, father, dear father, patriarch of the family, my father. You know, it's not that kind of word. It's, uh, it's the word you say, daddy. And the interesting thing about this word is that this is the word Jesus taught his disciples to use to pray to their father. And so before Jesus came, in the Jewish religion, if you study that, most of their prayers would be very formal. You know, uh, Almighty God, a creator of heaven and earth, judge of all mankind, you see, that kind of a, a prayer. And Jesus comes along and he teaches his followers to pray, Papa, dear Daddy. You see? And they were so taken by this, this new relationship that God, that, that Jesus had brought, where God was no longer distant and just the creator God, the judge God, the far off God. He's now the close God, the Papa God. They were so taken by this that when the message of Jesus left, went out of Palestine and went into the, uh, the Roman world, that they actually took the word with them. And so you can see that here. Uh, they just kind of translated, literated over. So the Apostle Paul writing to Christians in Rome now, probably Latin speaking, and this is written in Greek. The Greek, Greek was the common language of the day. When he's speaking to them, he can just say, when the Holy Spirit comes in our life, that what he, he teaches us to say is Abba, Papa. There, there's a direct and a new sense. So we have a new relationship with God that's it's, it's intuitive. 
No one has to tell us. No one has to sit us down and say, okay, now you're a Christian now. You have a new relationship with God. You can now say, Papa. The Holy Spirit just directly speaks us to the deepest part of us. And we'll come back to that later. Now, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Now, when I think of an heir, I think of Paris Hilton. Um, what's an heir? An heir is someone who, uh, you're, you're the child of someone and you're set to inherit their fortune, right? And so what Paul is saying is that now that you're children of God, uh, you are set to inherit the universe. God has created all things. You are now heirs of God. So when you come of age, when Jesus comes back, you'll inherit everything God owns, everything that God is and has. So you're heirs of God. Your next life is amazing. And you're heirs of God and you're co-heirs with Christ. In other words, you're co-heirs with your big brother, Jesus. Uh, he's going to inherit the world. You are going to share that with him. He says, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So when we come to Jesus, what does Jesus tell us? He says that we have to be willing to take up our cross and follow him. That not everyone is going to be excited the fact that we became a Christian. And there's going to be some persecution that comes with that. In fact, we may have to give our lives for Jesus. And so that's just part of the package deal of being a Christ follower. You have to, if we're willing to share his sufferings, then we'll share the glory. It's, it's, it's a package deal. And that's all Paul is saying. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. Now, I want you to skip down to verse 26. The next time we're together, we'll come back and pick up the two intervening paragraphs. But today, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And he talks more about the Holy Spirit in verse 26. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, what weakness? What's he talking about? Well, in the two paragraphs we just skipped, basically what Paul is going to say is this whole created universe is a fallen universe. That when we as a human race, the kings and the queens of the universe, when we rebelled against God and fell away, that not only did we fall, but the whole, we took the whole creation with us. That this creation is not what it's designed to be. As amazing as it is, it's a shadow of what it was supposed to be. And what he says is the whole creation is longing, is groaning as if in the pains of childbirth, longing for the day it will be set free from its bondage to decay. And so we live in this world. It's a weak world. It's a fallen world. Uh, we, he goes on to say, we as people in this world, even though we've come to Jesus, we have our fallen bodies, right? We're not what we're supposed to be. And so we are weak. And so he says in verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We live in this fallen world. We live in fallen bodies. And he says, uh, we do not know what to pray for. So how does he help us in our weakness? Well, one way that we're weak is that we don't know what to pray for. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you don't know what to pray for? Like some of you have kids. And you understand, especially as they grow older, especially as they become very rebellious. And have you ever been there as a parent? You don't know what to pray for. You don't know whether to pray whether God will cause them to crash and burn or whether God will just bless them. You're not, you, what you want is for them to come back to God. But you don't know which way it'll take. You know, do they have to hit the bottom first and so God just take them out? <laughs> you know, or do they need to be blessed in, in spite of what they're doing and they're just, man, God's been so good to me in spite of the blessing. You see what I'm saying? And so I was like a parent, you don't know what to pray for. Well, that happens all the time in our lives. Uh, how many of you, you know, most of us would agree 
that as Christians, we understand that if we're going to grow and become like Jesus, there's times we have to go through hard times, right? In fact, we often grow the most in hard times. But when was the last time you prayed for a hard time in your life? God, life's just going too good right now. Uh, could you just kind of ruin something for me? Maybe I could lose my job, break a leg, get a disease. Maybe a wife and I could start having problems. Uh, just something, because I'm not growing. I really want to grow in my life, and it's just not happening. So could you please just mess it up, do something big? Like, no, we're not going to pray like that, right? We're not going to pray like that because we want to be blessed. So what do we pray? We pray for blessing. We pray for protection. We pray for God will just make everything perfect. There's nothing wrong with that prayer, and yet we understand that we realize in the big picture of things that's probably not the best prayer, you know? And so Paul says there's times in our life we don't know what to pray for, and he says the Spirit helps us. Well, how does he help us? He says uh, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself prays for us. He intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So this is interesting. He says when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, uh, not only does he come in and change you from the inside out, he actually begins praying for you. He actually begins going before God and praying for God's will in your life. And he's groaning for you. This is no lightweight prayer. He is groaning for you. He is with you. He loves you. He knows you. He understands you better than anyone else. He understands the pain you're going through, and he is groaning with you. He's sharing with you, and he's going before God the Father and saying, Father, would you do this? Father, would you do that? Because he knows what's best for your life. In fact, that's what he says next. Verse 27, he who searches our hearts, meaning God the Father, he knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So the Holy Spirit's actually praying for you before God the Father, and he's praying for God's will in your life. Now, this is a beautiful picture of the Trinity in our life, isn't it? Some of you are brand new Christians. Some of you are here. You haven't yet made the decision to follow Jesus. You may have heard that term, the Trinity. The Trinity is just a teaching of the Bible. It's a, very, it's a, mysterious, uh, a mysterious teaching, one that's kind of a fifth-dimension reality we can't understand yet in this life. But it says very clearly there's only one God, and yet he exists forever, eternally, in three different persons, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they're really distinct. They're not just different names for the same person. They're really different. And you see that going on here in this passage where you see, okay, so here's, uh, there's, uh, the Father sends the Son to die for us. The Son dies for us. Now the Spirit's inside of us. Here's the Holy Spirit. He's praying to God the Father for our lives. You see this interaction between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, C.S. Lewis once said, he said that when uh, the most simple Christian kneels down by his bed at night to pray, you see the Trinity at work because he's praying to the Father who's above him with, with the, uh, his brother Christ beside him, the model of how to pray, and with the Holy Spirit inside of him leading him how to pray. And so you see this beautiful partnership of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together uh, in, our, in our lives, right? Now, so that's the passage. Now, what I want to do today is jump in and kind of lay out the principles of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives uh, to kind of grow us up and how he's a mentor and a spiritual guide. So there in your note sheet, 
you have a section called the Holy Spirit, our spiritual mentor. And what I want to do is just focus on three uh, principles um, that, uh, that are laid out in this text about the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about everything the Holy Spirit does today, but we're just going to focus on three specific parts of his job description that are really a part of the, this Romans 8 passage. So let's uh, jump in. Number one, the first thing that this passage teaches is the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to spiritual truth. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to spiritual truth. Now at this point, I want to step back and I want to uh, talk about something Jesus said. Let's go back to the very last night Jesus was with his disciples before he was arrested. So later on that night, he's going to be arrested. He knows that. He knows he's going to be tortured, killed, rise again, and and then 40 days return to heaven full time. And so he's about to leave his men and he's preparing them for the future They're freaking out. They know he's leaving. They don't really get it all. They're not sure how it's working. And so he says, listen, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you another, that's the key word, another counselor. The word's really hard to to translate to English. Counselor, you know, kind of your teacher, helper, uh, your advocate. It's, It's translated a bunch of ways. But the idea is that, like, I've been your teacher. I've been your teacher. I've been your leader. I've been your mentor, your spiritual mentor. I've been your life coach. And and now I'm leaving, and so I'm sending another one to take my place. And he said something really interesting. He said, actually, it's to your advantage that I go. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. And if he comes, once he comes, he will lead you into all truth. So it's pretty high praise from Jesus. It's better to have him than me, you see? And he said in part of the, his job description, uh, central part is to lead you into all truth. Now, we see an example of that here in Romans chapter 8. Because in Romans 8, we saw this in verse 16, right? That when a person first comes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins speaking to them in a direct and intuitive way that the, your relationship with God has now changed. The God of the universe, the judge of all the earth, the creator of the cosmos, has now become your papa, your abba. And this is a direct and intuitive thing. No one tells you this. The spirit tells you this. His spirit to your spirit, you see? Now, we started the day with a story of this young woman, this young junior in high school, and her experience that night. And um, as she went to that winter camp and she went forward, not even understanding, remember, what she was doing, just an overwhelming sense that she needed what he was talking about and going for and just kind of calling out to God and not really even getting the whole thing. That story is the story of my wife. That's my wife's story, my wife's Lynn's story. It's how she came to Christ. And if you were to talk to Lynn, she would tell you that that night as she, came, uh, as she went forward, not understanding what she was doing at all, but after she prayed, something happened to her. Uh, she, she, she couldn't really explain exactly what happened. She just knew something had happened. She wakes up the next morning, and it's like she'd gone through uh, a door and walked into a whole new world. It was as if something had happened. She had this new, like this, no longer was she wondering, is there a God or is there not a God? No longer she's wondering, uh, uh, is, it, is it really the God of the Bible or not? It's just like overnight, without anyone talking to her, it just seemed obviously true. 
And that her, she had a relationship with this God. This God of the universe was now her God, that he was her father, that he loved her. It's exactly what Paul is describing here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. The Spirit speaking to her directly that I'm real and you're my child and we have a new relationship. It's a beautiful thing. Well, then it gets even better. So it's Sunday afternoon. She goes home after that retreat. She pulls off that same Bible off the shelf, that exact same Bible that had been so boring, so dull, so dusty, couldn't make sense of it. She opens it up, and it's almost as like someone has changed the insides. Because now it's speaking to her. Now she's reading. It's making sense. It's touching her. It's like, man, this is speaking to me. I'm getting this. I'm understanding this. This is like powerful stuff. Like, who changed the book? And, of course, no one had changed the book. Someone had just changed her, you see. And all of a sudden, uh, she was be, be, being able to ex- understand uh, because the Holy Spirit opened her eyes to spiritual truth. Now, remember, every week I say this as we start, that we start in the book of Romans, but then we launch off into other of Paul's writings to better understand what he's saying. There in your note sheet, I put a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I want to go over this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes, he says, we, we as Christ's followers, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God. So when you come to Jesus, Holy Spirit comes in your life. We get that. Why? That we may understand what God has freely given us. You catch that? The Holy Spirit's job is to help us understand, to open our eyes to spiritual truth. Now, the man without the spirit, in other words, the non-Christian, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. He just doesn't, can't make sense of them. Some of you experienced this when you came to Christ. Do you remember this for many of you? When you first came to Christ, you were so excited about Jesus. You were so excited about this new relationship with God. You rushed home to your family or to your friends, and you began to share with them about Jesus, and they looked at you like you were crazy. Remember this? And it's like, you're like, no, but really. Like, let me just explain it again. You just must not have heard me. And you try to explain it to them. They look at you like you are the dodo bird or something. Like like you just don't even get it. Well, that's exactly what he says happens. He says uh, they, they don't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Why? Because they're foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them. I mean, even he tries. He cannot get it. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. Now, what does that mean, spiritually discerned? Well, let me explain it this way. Let's say you're watching the Olympics this weekend. Y'all watching the Olympics, by the way? So far, so good, yeah. Uh, so you're watching the Olympics, and you see one of those new car uh, commercials come on that are amazing, these new cars and high gas mileage. And you say, I got to have one of those. So you go out this weekend, and you buy one. And you go, if it's a pretty nice car, it's likely going to come with satellite uh, radio, because they, a lot of cars do now. And they're going to come with a free six-month subscription to get you addicted to either XM or Sirius. And so... You, you get this thing and you, work, you figure it out, and it's just, it's amazing. You've never, it's the first satellite radio you've ever had, and all of a sudden you've got over 100 stations and all your favorite music and sports shows, and it's just amazing. And so now you're, you're listening to it, and you drive it for a couple weeks, and you just fall in love with the thing. You just love this, this you love this, uh, this satellite radio, and it's like 12 bucks a month. What a deal. I'll take it. And so you're just excited about this, and then all of a sudden you get into your wife's car, And you forgot what it was like to be limited to the world of AM and FM. (laughs) What a sad and pitiful existence. (laughs) Five presets. Man, boy, life is, I forgot those days. You know, I I forgot how far I'd come in two weeks. And, uh, and, And so you say, what's the difference? 
Like, why can one car get 100 stations and the other car only gets AMF in? Why is that? Well, it's because one car has discernment and the other car doesn't. You see? See, the one car, it's, it's not about the satellite radio beams or whatever. They're out there all the time. It's that one car can discern them and one car can't. You see, what happens when we come to Jesus, it's like we get a new station. We get a new radio, a new spiritual radio. And all of a sudden, we can discern what's been there all along. It's not like Jesus just became Lord yesterday. right? But we just tuned into the station. We just got the new equipment. And so all of a sudden, we get it. You go to your buddy at work, or you go to your, your, your neighbors, or you go to your friends, or your relatives, and you try to tell them about Jesus, and they're like, they're like this is the most amazing song. Listen to the station. And they're like, all I hear is, <laughs> you see, they, they can't get it. They don't tune in. You're like, oh, no, let me turn it up for you. <laughs> now it's just more irritating. You see? Why? Because... The discernment has come into your life through the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened to my wife, Lynn, that day. And you know what? That is just the start of the journey. This is how we start with Jesus, that he tells us we have a, the Holy Spirit tells us right directly to our spirit. It's not like we have to go to Systematic Theology 101. It's not like we have to go to 18 Bible studies to get this. The moment you come to Jesus, you sense something has changed. There is a real God, and there's, he has a real relationship with you, and you know it's true, and you, you've experienced it, and something's happened, and you might not be able to explain it all, but something has changed. Amen? And that's how it happens. And so Paul says, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. Now, this is not something that just happens like once in our life. This is how we grow in Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job description is to continue to come and to lead us into more and more truth as we are ready to receive it. Even that last night, Jesus was with his disciples. He said to them this. He said, you know, man, I have many, thing, many more things I would love to tell you tonight, but you are not ready for them. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll fill you in. And that's what happens is we grow in Jesus. The Holy Spirit fills us in. He's like, oh, you like that station? Let me show you this station. You see? And he changes stations. A whole new world opens up. Oh, oh, really? I didn't know that about finances. Oh, oh, really? That's about forgiveness? Oh, turn back this. I didn't know that about forgiveness. Oh, this one about sexual purity? Oh, I, I never, oh, I didn't really get that. Oh, now it's, I like that. So that's a tune. That sounds good, you know? And so he begins to change stations on us. More information comes in, and we, we go through the growth process. Now, often when I do teaching up here, I love to use examples from our own congregation and say sometimes share emails or so on because it's just a powerful way for us to say, here's what God's doing right now at Rocky Peak, and we can learn from one another. And so I had one a couple months ago from uh, this lady. Of course, I asked her permission, as always. But it was, uh, it's dated June 12th of this year, and it was right after that service we called the Redemption Experience. Remember that special service we had? And uh, so she said, Pastor Mike, I just wanted to thank you, and she goes on for a bunch of things. But I want to thank you also for this weekend's service because it was so awesome. I also want to share with you, be, uh, share because of you and the movement, you know, I'm always talking about God's on the move here and we're a movement, uh, that because of you and the movement, as you say, I took a leap of faith. Last December, I was provided the opportunity to teach the Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night uh, Bible study at, uh, at the church. And um, she said that, I have to tell you that my wildest dreams, I had never thought of doing that. Um, when this opportunity came up uh, at the same time, 
I had been praying for the Lord to, to really show himself to me and to help me become closer to him and to really know him. Now catch this. We're going to watch a story unfold in this lady's life, all right? So it's December. She's been praying prior to December, God, I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want to get closer to you, okay? So this is a woman who's seeking uh, God on her satellite dial, all right? She's seeking, God, I want more of you. That's an important part of the story. And so what happens then is that this opportunity comes up, something she never dreamed of, to lead this Bible study, okay? And so she says, so when the opportunity arose, I sensed this was his way of getting me to focus on him and to become closer to him. So right away, her initial response spiritually is, I think this is from the Lord. I think, I, I think this is an answer to my prayers. I remember thinking like Moses, who am I to facilitate the study? as I haven't even read the entire Bible. But I thought if the Lord equipped Moses with what he needed, he would certainly do the same for me if this were really him leading me. Now, after praying about this opportunity and having others pray for me, so you catch the next step? She's seeking for God. She's praying for God. The opportunity comes up. She at first thinks, oh, that's kind of scary, but feels like it's from the Lord. But she begins to ask her friends and herself. She begins to pray, God, is this from you? It feels like it's from you. Is it from you? Right? So she's in the discerning process now. And so it says that, um, that after praying about this opportunity and having others pray for me, I took the leap as your words about, and she put this in quotes, the movement kept coming to mind. So what's happening? She's praying, and as she's praying, every time she's praying, the words, the movement, the movement, the movement, just keep coming back inside of her. And it's like, the whole, and she senses the Holy Spirit speaking these words. Now, you've probably experienced this at times in your life. You're praying about something, and it just a thought keeps coming back, and it comes with a particular power, a particular clarity, a particular sense of peace. It's, it's more than your natural thoughts. It might be a word. It might be a picture in your mind. But something's happening. God's communicating, and you're sensing it. And that's what happened to her. He was using the word movement to speak to her. Now, she says, I have a long way to go, but I've been so blessed by the ladies in the study and I thank God that he put the desire to follow him and not believe Satan's lies that I couldn't do this. Now catch this. This has brought me closer to the Lord and instilled a greater desire to please him and to know him better and better. So you see how it's come full circle? Back in December, she's praying, God, I want to know you better. I want to experience you more. Would you guide me? This opportunity comes up. She senses immediately. I think that's from the Lord. Goes to prayer, asks her buddies, would you pray with me on this? As she's praying, feels increased clarity, feels the word movement, this movement, movement. This is God's confirmation to her. She steps out in faith, doesn't listen to the enemy, begins teaching this course, and grows closer to God as a result of it. Now, this is all I'm saying. I'm not sharing this story because it's such an amazing short story. I'm sharing this story because it's a typical story. This is the way it works in our lives. When we're seeking God and we want to know God and we want to listen, the Holy Spirit will come along. He will give us opportunities. He will open our eyes to new truth. He will speak to us. He will direct us. He is our life coach. Jesus said, I can't be there to mentor you personally anymore. I'm sending another one, and that will be his job to lead you into all truth. Okay? So that's the first thing, that his job is, uh, is to be our personal life coach, uh, our kind of our mentor, our spiritual mentor. Open our eyes to spiritual truth. Number two. The second uh, job that the Holy Spirit does in his job description, this one's a little bit different. It takes some explanation, but it goes like this. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment on the next life. 
The Holy Spirit is God's down payment on the next life. I don't need to explain this. One of the great truths in the Bible, one of the great truths of the New Testament is that this life is all about the next life. Jesus taught this all the time. That this life is what? 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 years long, and then it's done, and then eternity lasts forever. And so by definition, this life is about the next life, that we want to be living this life in light of the next life. That's how we live it successfully. And yet in everyday life, it's hard to remember that, isn't it? It's just hard to remember, to focus. We get so distracted. And so uh, Jesus keeps telling us this, but it's easy to get off track. Well, here's what Paul is telling us. He says, is our experience of the Holy Spirit in our life leading, guiding, directing us, changing us? It's that experience here and now that creates a hunger for the next life. It's that experience that prepares us for the next life. It's that experience that's sort of like God's guarantee that better things are coming. Like, let me explain it like this. Let's say that uh, you were to go to a six-year-old boy and you were to ask him what, how he feels about his future. Hey, you're looking forward to your future. Well, what do you mean? Well, someday you're going to get to meet a girl and you're going to fall in love and you're going to get to get married. Are you excited about that? How do you think, how excited is he going to be? Yep. Probably not real excited. But what's he going to do? He's going to say, oh, girls, sick. Oh, I don't want that. No, ew. I don't like girls. And I want to play with my army women, my buddies, right? That's what he's going to say. Now, why is he going to say that? Why is he not excited about his next life? Because he has no experience to, to base it on. He's never experienced falling in love. He's never experienced the joy of companionship with someone of the opposite sex. He's never experienced sexual desire. And so he has nothing in his little six-year-old mind or body that can relate to the future. And so when you say, are you excited about your future life? No, I'm not. Now, let's jump ahead. He's now 20 years old. He's in college. And he's got his eye on this beautiful blonde-haired girl in his chemistry class. And now, how does he feel about, how would you feel about the future if you got to date her and then fall in love with her and, and marry her? How would you feel about that? Oh, he's all over that. He'll neglect his studies. He'll save up all his hard-earned money from Starbucks to take her out. Right? He's all over that. Why? Because he has learned what it is to fall in love. He knows what it is to have a desire for a woman. And because he's experienced that now, he's all over his future life. Yes, man, I'm all over that. I'm trying to figure out how to ask her out. And I'm asking all my buddies, and what do you say? And what do you think you should do? And she said this, and I said this, and what do you think I should say? And he's just all obsessed with his future life. Well, what changed? What changed was he experienced a taste of the future life. Now here's what Paul's gonna say. He says, your experience of the Holy Spirit here and now is your taste of the next life. And if you're experiencing a lot of the Holy Spirit's work in your life right now, you're gonna be all over the next life. You're gonna be excited about the next life because you've experienced it, at least a part of it. And so you're excited about what's coming. But if you haven't experienced the presence and the direction and the power of your spirit in your life now, of course you're not going to be excited about the next life. Just like that six-year-old, you have nothing to relate it to. Does this make sense? And so many times, this is why so many Christians are not excited about the next life, the, frankly, because they have no experience of God in this life. 
unless we experience him powerfully now, we'll never be excited about the future. And if we're not excited about the future, we won't live life well now. We'll be like this six-year-old who's all into his little uh, army toys. Oh, no, I don't want girls. I don't want that. Just let me play with my little G.I. Joes, you know? And so many times as Christians, we can be like G.I. Joe Christians. You know, we're not excited about this amazing future God has because we haven't experienced God, you see? And so Paul says, your, holy, your experience of the Spirit now is your down payment, your guarantee of what's coming. In fact, look there on your note sheet in Ephesians chapter 1. This is where he spells it out even more clearly. He says, you also, you Christ followers in Ephesus, you also were included in Christ, you became Christians, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So he says, at some point in time, someone shared the message of Jesus, you bought into it, you became a Christ follower. And having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Now underline that. You were marked in him with a seal. Now in ancient times, when you'd have an important document to send, you wanted to make sure it was authentic and no one had messed with it, you'd write it out. You'd take the scroll, you'd put a wax seal on it, put you know, a wax on it, and you'd put, you'd, you'd, you'd put the wax on it, and then you'd, you'd uh, take your seal that was uh, stamped with your, your insignia or maybe your ring, and you'd seal it shut. And so when someone got that scroll, then they, they knew it was really from you and that it hadn't been tampered with. When you went to the market to buy a certain product, they would have, often have certificates of authenticity to prove this product was the real deal. It wasn't a knockoff from China. <laughs> and so they would have this seal on there, the seal of the owner, that this was really uh, authentic. And so Paul says, when you came to Jesus, God put a seal of authenticity on you to show that you're really a child of God and your future is secure. Well, what is that seal? He says, the seal is the promised what? See that? Promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit. And that word is the Greek word erabon, which means like a down payment. It's a deposit or a down payment guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So a few days ago, I went with one of my daughters to buy a new car. And we, we negotiated the deal, and she bought the car, and she had to give him a check. It was a deposit to promise that we would come back with the rest of the money later because I stupidly thought you could put a car on a visa, <laughs> and you can't. So anyway, so we gave him $1,000. Now, what was that? It was our deposit guaranteeing that we would come back within 72 business hours and we'd give him the rest of the money and we would redeem that car. We would buy that car, you see. And so what, what Paul's saying here is the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee. When you came to Jesus, he said, your future is amazing. I can't give it all to you now until I come back, but I'm gonna give you a taste of it now. Here's my Holy Spirit. And this is my promise, the guarantee of what is coming, you see? And the more we experience the Holy Spirit now, the more we are in touch with the reality of the next life, the more we can live this life for the next life. Do you see how important this is? So what happens in the believer's life who's not living in the power of the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you what happens. The next life seems far away, distant, uninviting, unappealing, as unappealing as to the six-year-old boy getting married. And so we read about this and we try to get excited, but we're not excited about the future God has planned because we have no frame of reference. 
And it's why as a church, it's so important that we experience the presence, the power, the leading of the Spirit in our lives changing us. Because as we do, it helps us get in touch with, man, this life is all about the next life. I need to be living this life well for the next life. Okay? And number three, the third principle that flows out of this passage is that the Holy Spirit is the best coach you'll ever have. The Holy Spirit is the best coach you'll ever have. We've talked a lot in the book of Romans about God's love for us and the role that the Father plays in our life. The Father, you know, who comes up with this plan of rescue for us. We've talked a lot about the role of Jesus, the Son, and how the way he died for us. And we get that. But it's not until Romans chapter 8 that we begin to learn about the role of the Holy Spirit in this rescue project in our life. We saw last week that he comes in to change us from the inside out. But we see this week that the Holy Spirit is actively pulling for us, that he lives inside of us, he knows us better than we know ourselves, and that he is pulling for us and for our freedom. In fact, this is that verse in verse 826, if you take a look at that, chapter 8 and verse 26. He says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness... We do not know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes or prays for us with groans that words cannot express. He's, he's going before, he's praying for us with groans. Now, what does that mean? Well, remember earlier, just a few verses earlier, he had said the whole creation is groaning as if in the pain of childbirth. Have you ever gone through childbirth? Have you ever been with someone and gone through childbirth. It is a painful experience, right? And man, you are just longing for that baby to come out. Like, man, I am groaning. I can't wait for this thing to be done. And Paul says the whole creation is groaning to be done when Jesus comes back and restores it to its original specifications. And he says, we're groaning as in the pain of childbirth, ourselves longing to be set free from these bodies that we have, these fallen bodies into our new bodies. And he says, guess what? The Holy Spirit is groaning with us. He's groaning for our freedom, just like the creation is groaning for its freedom. And he is with you. He's pulling you. See, this coach that we have inside of us, the Holy Spirit, this coach is not some sort of impassive or kind of passive bystander that comes to your life or mine and says, do this, do that. And if we're like, if we say, forget it, he's going, whatever, it's up to you. No, he's groaning for us. He loves us. He's pulling for us. He's like a coach that's just pulling so hardly for us. And why is he pulling? He's pulling for God's will in our life. Look at verse 27. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit is interceding or praying for the saints. Saints just mean Christ's followers in accordance with God's will. So the Holy Spirit, he's longing for you to become the person you are created to be. And he's praying. He's going before the Father. and He's praying for you all the time that God would do exactly what needs to happen in your life so that you could be free and become the person God's made you to be. He is so on your side. He is so for you. He's not against you. He's on your side. Now, once we understand this, do you understand how crazy it is when we resist his leading in our life? How crazy, this is, makes about as much sense as an Olympic caliber athlete 
who refuses the advice of their coach because it's painful or because it's hard. And as a result, they miss the cut. They don't get to go to the Olympics. Like how sad would that be? And yet this is why he says, you have this life coach, he's groaning for you, and, and how much, it's just so crazy when we resist him, we ignore him, we re- resent his discipline in our lives, you see, because it's painful. It's like, how crazy is that? And once we understand Romans 8, it makes a lot more sense of a couple other things Paul says. Like, look there on your note sheet. Like in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul puts it this way. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Did you know that if you're a Christ follower today, that you have the ability to break the heart of the Holy Spirit? Did you know that? That you have the ability to break his heart, to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, what grieves him? What grieves him is when you don't listen to his counsel, and you go out and you ruin your life, and you lose the freedom that he is praying and begging God to give you. You see? That breaks his heart. Look at the next verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse uh, 19. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Did you, do you understand this? That it's possible for you as a Christ follower to put out the Spirit's fire. He's trying to light a fire in your heart. It's possible for you to take a bucket of water and douse it and to put out the Spirit's fire. Some of you may be there in your life right now. There was a time in your life, maybe it was two years ago, maybe it was three months ago, maybe it was six months ago, maybe it was 10 years ago, maybe it was 20 years ago, when the Spirit's fire was alive in your life. You were growing. You sensed His direction. You were changing. You were becoming the person. And something happened, and you put out the Spirit's fire. And yes, you're a Christian, but you've been dead to God for years. You're not experiencing God in your life anymore. And you've put out the Spirit's fire. We say, well, how do you do that? How do you put out the Spirit's fire? Well, he tells us in this passage one way. One way is to stop listening to the Holy Spirit. Look what he says. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Now, what's a prophecy? A prophecy is when God gives a specific message to one follower of Jesus for a church or for another follower of Jesus or a small group. God speaks to one person with a message for someone else. That's a prophecy. And so Paul says, if you despise prophecy, if you say, I don't believe God still speaks today. I don't believe that God still speaks to us today. I don't believe that God would speak. In fact, I for sure don't speak, believe he'd speak through you. You know? I don't believe that's going to happen. He says that when we have that attitude towards God speaking in our life, whether it's through someone else or just to us, when we despise that prophecy, God speaking, he says that puts out the Spirit's fire. That's one of the fastest ways to put out the Spirit's fire in our life is just to stop listening. Just, I don't even believe God can speak. You know, it's interesting. Uh, when some, I, well, he goes on to say, by the way, he says, by the way, I'm not saying that, hey, just because someone claims to have a word from you from God, that you're supposed to take it at face value. You need to discern it, right? Like, he, look what he says. He says, test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. So when someone comes and says, I think I've got a message for you, great. Be open to that, test it. If it, it rings true, hold on to the good. If it's like, no, that doesn't sound like something God would say, it doesn't line up with this word, then okay, you get rid of it, right? Now, Jesus said something very similar. You know, in that, in that passage that we talked about at the beginning of the service where he's with his disciples and he's preparing them for the future, 
One of his, he, he says, you know, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And one of his men speaks up. And he says, Jesus, I have a question. And he goes, okay, Judas, what is it? No, not Judas Iscariot, the other one. And so he says, uh, Jesus, why is it that some people get to experience your Holy Spirit and others don't? Because Jesus just said this, some, that he'll come to some but not to others. And Jesus said, oh, that's easy. Those who love me will obey me. And if you obey me, then my Father and I will come and we'll make our home with you. That's through the Holy Spirit. He says, Jesus says that we, the Holy Spirit, he's going to come and counsel those who are open to his counsel. He will come and counsel those who are willing to obey. That's the people that God will come and live and make his home inside. That's the one kind of person. God's not going to waste his time moving into someone's house who's not listening. He's only going to come when he's invited, and he's only going to come when we were ready to listen. And so Jesus spells it out. And so now we've come full circle from last week, haven't we? We learned last week that in Romans chapter 8, Paul lays this out for us, that when a man or a woman gives her life to Jesus, that God moves into their house, the God of the universe comes to live inside of them. He comes to change them from the inside out. He comes to be our teacher. He comes to open our eyes to spiritual truth. And if we will listen and if we're willing to obey, he will guide us and he will direct us and he will lead us to the freedom. In fact, he's praying for that. The Holy Spirit's praying for it that we would become the people God wants us to be. And so how crazy would it be for any of us to resist, ignore, or reject the Spirit's counsel in our life. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this passage and what you're doing here at Rocky Peak and how you're teaching us to listen to the voice of your Spirit. And God, we thank you that you've given us this great deposit is guaranteeing our future inheritance that we can know our future is bright because we've already experienced you in the here and now. And we don't have to depend just on your word that, well, the Bible says it and that makes it true and I guess I just accept that even though it doesn't feel that way. That that's a good answer, but it's only half the answer. That no, that you want us to know your experience, the Holy Spirit, that he's our guarantee of what you have planned for our future. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would write that truth on our hearts and you would teach us as a church how to listen and to follow your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.